0: welcome to fringe fm the tech talk series a weekly live stream where we discuss technologies poised to transform humanity as we know it and look at the direction ethics and predictions of where we're all headed if this is interesting to you you'll surely love our fringe fm interview series where we have top folks in the fields of ai genetics quantum computing space human longevity and much more and discuss where we're all headed be sure to subscribe to the podcast at fringe.fm and now we hope you enjoy the episode Hey guys, welcome to Fringe FM Tech Talks. It looks like we're live. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and this is our segment where we hop on every Wednesday and Sunday to discuss exponential technologies affecting all of us. Today, we're talking Bitcoin, blockchain, Ethereum, governance, and looking at the future of all of us, the future of money, the future of so much more. We're talking cryptocurrencies and blockchain. This is Fringe FM Tech Talks. Now, let's get started. So, there's a lot of you that may already be familiar with blockchain. We, you've probably heard about Bitcoin in the news, and it's something that sounds exciting because you know people that are making money. So, of course, this is something that you need to look into. We've seen highs, we've seen lows, we've seen hype. It's gone to the moon, it's gone down. Let's talk about what blockchain is. Let's jump into the overview. So, blockchain is distributed ledger technology. Essentially, what this means is in the past, how does money work? You have a piece of paper, but how would you have some type of way to quantify value for something you need multiple people to recognize something as money we all recognize that this piece of paper that i have right here that's invisible is money so we can use that i can go buy oranges coffee at starbucks whatever it is that's kind of the essence of how money works what blockchain technology does is it looks to bring that digital the biggest problem that has happened in the in the digital space is in terms of scarcity. So if you look at like a Spotify, you can play a music, you can play a song a bajillion times the artist makes nothing, and you're not really getting any value from selling this product because there's no scarcity, so to speak, there's no reason why something should be valuable. So what a distributed ledger does, what blockchain essentially does is it eliminates trust between the middlemen. We can have trust, but we also can verify and see, okay, my bank says I have this amount of money, but other people can see that I have this amount of money. And if I send this money to someone else, suddenly this gets taken out of my account and put into another account. Blockchain does that without a middleman. That's what makes this really interesting because currently in, in our current paradigm, when it comes to financial industry, when it comes to the internet in general, there's always been a middleman. There's your bank, there's the government, there's Amazon, there's Google, whoever it is, there's a middleman that's really they're, they're taking their 15, their 10, their 5%, whatever it is, you're the one who's kind of stuck paying the bill, and you're probably not getting the best experience possible, especially with the Equifax type scenario where they're giving away your data for free, and then also getting hacked and giving away even more of your data. So they, what blockchain is trying to do is take out these centralized authority, take out these governmental monies, and have a better system that's run by the people for the people so that everyone can benefit to an equal amount. Imagine if you had been early at Facebook, or you'd been one of the early users and you were able to somehow be invested in the success of that. Maybe every time someone did a tweet on Twitter and you were one of the early people, well, sometimes you somehow you got compensated for that. Now, if this is your first live stream, this is the first time you've been on a tech talk, we have a live viewer chat. If you go to fringe.fm slash YouTube, you can check out our YouTube. Make sure you subscribe there so you don't miss any of these. Again, every Wednesday and Sunday at 1230 p.m. EST. And we have a live Q&A at the end of these. So for this one, we'll be talking about blockchain. We'll be talking about cryptocurrency. If you've got questions other than related to price, price is always something that's hard to predict. But if you've got questions about the industry, about the technology or where we're headed, add those questions there. And at the end, I'll cover them. And this is a segment of Fringe FM where I interview the world leaders in the fields of AI, blockchain, cryptocurrency, space, genetics, human longevity, robotics. You name it, if it's something that's transforming the world, it's something we're talking about. And blockchain is definitely transforming the world. We've seen a lot of money come into, into the space and there's really a lot of really exciting things when it comes to blockchain. The reason I'm excited about it is non-governmental currency specifically. So even if you're living in a, let's jump into the implications. So the implications, first of all, if you haven't used any type of uh, cryptocurrency so far. If you haven't sent money with Bitcoin, with Litecoin, with Ethereum, etc., you're, you're kind of missing out. Your bank's charging you a lot of money to send money. It's super slow. It's super cumbersome. It might not get there, but guess what? They set up the wire transfer, so they're still going to charge you that $3, dollars $45 fee plus all of the currency exchange fees. You're really getting killed when it comes to sending money. And that's where blockchain can become really, really interesting. It's just the ability to send money peer to peer, to not have that middleman. So payments are faster, they can be microized, et cetera. I'm not sure exactly how you would categorize that as a word, but think about it like this. If you're driving in a car, or if you want to use a specific lane of traffic, well, suddenly a car is able to charge you every single mile that you're driving, You're not paying for an Uber where someone is charging you to use their vehicle. You're paying the city to have better access to the the right roads so that you can get where you're going faster. You can avoid the traffic. You might pay, what, 5, 10, 20 cents a mile, et cetera. And you have these little micropayments that are going out every mile where you're inside of that HOV lane so you can go faster and get where you're going. And the government has some money so that they can fix things up. But you're not overpaying, and you have a you have a much more transparent system. Blockchain transparency—that's a really, really big thing about blockchain—is to be able to see where the government is spending money, where corporations are spending money, and who and how money money. It, I mean, it's very much uh, given in uh, based off of the money or the financial system currently. But there'll be some really interesting stuff. So right now, just in terms of the global money supply there are trillions of dollars that are up for stakes, so to speak. So that's the big entry point initially for blockchain and for cryptocurrencies. Now, there are two separate things. There's blockchain, which is the underlying technology. And this is the ability to take a segment of data and then build upon that in a in a continuous type system. So if we see in situation A, Matt has $5, Fred has $6, and Joe has $2. And then we see in situation B, Matt has $3, Fred has 2 Five dollars and Joe has six dollars. We're able to see what's changed. Okay, Matt sent three bucks over to Fred, and everyone on the system has that information. That's something that's not currently happening right now. We j- only have financial institutions telling us how much money we have, telling us how much money other people have. These numbers can be made up, and they are made up. This is one of the this is one of the big problems with inflation is governments print money to, for instance, go to war over oil and things of that nature. So your money becomes worth less and less every single year. Well, it may not be extreme in the case of Zimbabwe, where suddenly you go to the store and your money is worth nothing, in the US, the average is 1% to 2%. So every year, you're losing 1% to 2% of your money if you're not doing something with it. This is why home prices have gone exponentially through the roof. It's not just population. It's not just growth and prosperity, because if you look at middle class wages, those actually haven't moved that much. It's inflation. Your money becomes worth less every single year. That combined with uh, inflation of real estate has been, uh, has been a driving force for driving up home prices, uh, even outside of the tech hubs like San Francisco, Austin, etc. Let's see some other implications. So right now, there are three things that really define power. There's money. There's use of force and there's ability to help people, support. So right now, governments have the monopoly on money, they have the monopoly on use of force, and they have more or less the monopoly on the ability to help people or the ability to enact actions. The thing is, while the use of force, we want that to be monopolized. We don't want someone coming down the street and pulling a gun in our face and that being completely okay. That would be that would be a really problematic world. But in terms of money, this is something where if governments are doing things which... I know there's a lot of us that don't necessarily support the governments where we live especially their uses of money. We see corruption in terms of what industries get money funneled into them. Just look at the just look at the um, army spending and the, the military spending in the US and it outstrips the next what 60 20 et cetera, company countries combined in order of of how much money is being spent there? Can we use this money on something that would actually benefit people like education? That's something that I get frustrated about. A lot of us get frustrated about. Now, one of the big driving factors of government is money, both who issues the money and then the, the taxes that they hits you up with at the end of the year. Taking away that power and being able to have a peer-to-peer type money system, this takes away a lot of the power of modern government, which as we move towards, uh, as we move towards uh, type zero and then ultimately type one and type two civilization, i.e. when we start to become interplanetary and explore other worlds, the, the current system that we have for governments just makes absolutely no sense. Electing politicians to deal with local issues through a democratic process that can be manipulated by Facebook is not the best system for governance, for managing all of us. And for the money system, it's not as well. So we're going to have to start exploring intergovernmental or just peer-to-peer type money systems. That's what blockchain is enabling. And that's why there's been a lot of excitement. The initial adoption, so to speak, of blockchain and of cryptocurrencies has been through the libertarian movement so who people who want government kept out of certain things so that they're able to have more freedoms etc while the movement's been a bit co-opted by the finance industry because there's a lot of money in money and in the in the industry of money then it, it's still something to take into account so this is if you're just tuning in now this is our q a section if you have any questions go to fringe.fm slash youtube hit that subscribe button Jump into our live stream and add some questions, comments, etc. There, and we'll answer those towards the end. But we were talking about the implications of blockchain, and the implications are enormous. Why do you trust me? Why do you trust someone? Why do you trust anyone? And generally, the reason is one of a few things: a) you know them; b) someone else you knows know them; or c) the the government told you it's okay. Those are three different reasons, and when it comes to conducting commerce, trust is key. If you buy something on Amazon, you're looking at the reviews. Now, the reviews are great, but if your friend tells you this is an incredible product, you're much more likely to buy it. As an Amazon seller, I knew this, and and people that are into e-commerce, that are into marketing, et cetera, understand the importance of trust. Well, there's not a way where you can trust people across the globe when you're doing commerce. You might be dealing with Russian bots, et cetera. You don't know exactly who you're dealing with. The nature of blockchain is it eliminates the need for trust because you're both able to see but verify. That was <laughs> that's also um, subsequently the, uh, the, the slogan of the KGB. Trust but verify. So you're always checking in on people to make sure things are working but in a in a world where 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 money and power and governance is uh, decentralized, it's not in the power of one specific entity that trust, but uh, that trust, but verify thing is quite nice because you can have a society where people are actually able to build up trust around each other because you know those Uber reviews aren't fake, and this guy's not going to take you over somewhere and shoot you in the back of the head, or your passenger's not going to come and steal your car. You know the reviews aren't fake. You know they have the money to pay you. They know you know they are who they say they are. All of these are really interesting implications of blockchain: the ability to have a system that cannot be corrupted and is something that is in the in the public sphere, so to speak. So taking transactions from the from the public to the the private space, there's two different types right now of blockchains. There's public and there's private blockchains. There's ones that are completely transparent and there's ones that are completely obscure and there there's there's advantages to both. So Bitcoin is a pseudonymous uh, I'm saying that wrong, but pseudo anonymous platform. You're able to send money to me instantaneously, essentially for very, very low cost. And I can have that money. I can spend it. There's not a lot of places that are accepting cryptocurrencies currently, but it's, it's really valuable. But one of the problems, the reason why all the guys at Silk Road got caught for buying and selling marijuana and dick pills, etc., on Silk Road is they were using Bitcoin. And it turns out that cryptocurrencies, unless you're dealing with one that's actually, that's actually um, using encryption of some kind that's hard to break, all of the information's there. It might be coded up so you have strange characters that represent your name, but Having all of your information out there is not a great thing we've seen with Facebook in terms of people having their information out there they can be taken advantage of and being taken advantage of well that sucks it especially sucks when it comes to your money and this is something that is uh, this is something that's a major problem going forward in terms of do we want complete transparency with what we're buying and selling. Do I want you to know that I went to Starbucks yesterday and bought a coffee? Do I want the Starbucks person to know this is how much money Matt has in his bank account? And if you take him outside the back and you have a couple of your boys come over, well, then you can, uh, you can hold him up and have him send that money over to you. I don't want that. You don't want that. Too much transparency can be a bad thing. It can also be a bad thing because it is a slippery slope towards tyranny and a minority report type society where The government knows everything about you taxes are bad enough as it is with all of the with all of the information but let's say for instance you buy i I, let's say you have a a baby bed you sell a baby bed you make 20 bucks you don't think about reporting that but the irs can see wait a sec there here's this money here let's go after this guy having things too transparent can backfire and that's where you see currencies like monero etc that have more of a encryption focus, and they want to protect people from governments because they believe that the cryptocurrency, the blockchain movement will be co-opted by governments, which makes a lot of sense because if you were to take away one of those three prongs of power, money, force, and support, if you take away money from people, well, you pretty much just have, uh, you just have force and support. A lot of governments don't do a great job of support, so it's really just force. So a government's holding a gun to your head. Is that the reason why you're going to stay a citizen to keep paying your taxes, etc.? That's a question. If you take away the money, what happens? So this is what certain currencies are trying to do. Um, Most cryptocurrencies are trying to get into this role of replacing U.S. dollars, euros, etc., and we have a long, long way to go. Right now, Bitcoin obviously has the most adoption, so to speak, of the, the crypto the cryptocurrencies. But that said, the, the the volatility and the price just makes it not something that is uh, not something that could be applicable for for day to day commerce. There's two things that I'm really excited about when it comes to cryptocurrencies. Two really interesting implications, and one of these is what we talked about a little bit before. If you'd own a piece of Facebook by being an early user, you would have made a fortune. Well, we see now we have these really really strong internet monopolies. We have Google, we have Facebook, we have Amazon. These companies control the internet. We have similar companies in China, etc. and users own nothing. They go, they put in their information, their data is what makes these platforms valuable. These platforms sell advertising. They sell you and your soul and they make a fortune doing it. Well, that's not exactly great from a from a humanistic perspective and I don't know about you but I was pretty early to Facebook. I wouldn't have minded making a little bit of money from the platform succeeding. That's part of the implication, that's part of what can happen with blockchain. With utility tokens, let's say every time you wanted to post something on Facebook, it takes one FB token, it takes one, it takes one Zuck token, etc. To do that, you have to buy into the platform or for some reason, for you have early injections of tokens. So people that are given tokens, well, these tokens, as more and more people come onto the platform, if they have some type of necessity, some type of utility, I need a token to tweet, I might have to pay some money or do something to be able to get those tokens so I can tweet so that people can know I'm Donald Trump, I'm kind of awesome. So people would pay money for these type of tokens. The, the value would accrue to the early users. And suddenly you have a system where people are incentivized to be in early, to invite their friends, to take action, etc. Those are the type of incentives where even though Facebook, Twitter, um, YouTube, et cetera, have incredible network effects, these are the type of incentives that can overwrite those network effects. If this is interesting for you, go to medium.com slash at It's Matt Ward. And you can find, I have a couple articles there about blockchain versus the big four and looking at the big four, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, and how, how blockchain cryptocurrency and then the, the future of tech kind of evolves and how it plays out with them or not. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't subscribed yet. If this is remotely interesting for you, we have some incredible interviews planned. Every Monday and Friday, I interview top leaders in the fields of AI, space, genetics, longevity, et cetera. Have a ton of fun talking about the topics of the future. And then every Wednesday and Sunday at 12 30 p.m. EST, we have these live streams. If you like them, make sure you hit the subscribe button. You can also connect with us on social. I'm at it's Matt Ward, and we're also on Facebook, Fringe FM Podcast, and we're on YouTube if you're already there. If not, fringe.fm slash YouTube. I want to jump into oh one one other major implication of blockchain before we jump into some of the pros. And that is the advancements of AI. So AI, machine learning, neural nets, right now they're moving real and deep learning are moving very, very quickly in terms of what we're able to do. And where I see a lot of potential with uh, with the crypto movement is in terms of utility tokens and usage between different artificial intelligences. So let's say I have my own little bot and my bot is helping me to schedule things on Twitter, to set up appointments, to buy me coffee at Starbucks, etc. There's going to have to be communications happening. My Maybe my bot is communicating with XYZ person who's incredibly awesome and famous that we're going to have on Fringe FM, and they're talking to each other, setting up meeting dates, etc. These interactions of information going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There's no human in the loop. It's completely, it's completely automated. But at the same time, there, there's still information being passed back and forth. While that might be a, a completely that personal or interesting type sense, there also be situations where this is monetary in nature. So robots that are doing scanning for products, etc robots that are looking at the traffic patterns and assessing, okay, we're going to be increasing costs here. Maybe I'm driving my car and you're driving your autonomous car. And I say, I got to get there sooner. Pay anyone that we need to so that we can speed it up. And I pay the cars in front of me like 10 cents a piece for them to move over so I can can pass them. There's a lot of strange little implications that people don't talk about, but that will be really interesting when we look at micropayments between... with cryptocurrencies because it's not it's not physically possible right now with dollars cents etc because if you have to use visa's payment processing network it's something like 29 cents per transaction plus 2.9 percent, which is going to kill you if you're dealing with really really small transactions microtransactions and this will be something that'll be really really interesting as as we start to have more advancements and we have start to have more ubiquitous ai So now I want to talk about some of the pros of the blockchain movement. Before I do that, though, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we're on every major podcasting platform, iTunes, Android, Stitcher. If you go to fringe.fm slash iTunes, subscribe right there. You can find us anywhere else as well. Just search Fringe FM. I highly recommend listening to the show, checking us out and subscribing. We have the interview series and then we have these, the tech talks, where I do live streams and answer listener questions every Wednesday and Friday. So pros of blockchain. I, for one, am pretty darn excited about blockchain. The financial system right now, I think, is set up and rigged for the people at the top to stay at the top. We've kind of seen this in terms of the separation of the the 1% and the rest of us. And you can kind of say the separation, it's always going to be 80-20. Everything comes down to a Pareto principle. But we see right now that the people that are at the top are kind of maintaining that by manipulating a financial system. Having transparency here makes things much more much more equal for everyone and can lead to a much better world. We also have a situation right now where a lot of third world countries, a lot of people that are living in less than ideal situations don't have access to traditional banking. While traditional banking certainly has had some of its own cons, we've had the real estate collapse, etc. There are a lot of advantages when it comes to having a bank account, being able to access these types of goods and services. What we're seeing however though, in especially in some of the third world countries, especially in Africa, I mean I don't know how you feel when I say third world country, but for me, that's a definition that's pretty well defined. So we'll say third world countries. But if you're looking at some of third world countries, a lot of them are skipping these infrastructure steps entirely because it's incredibly expensive to have massive governments and tons of paperwork. Why would I have this deed for my home? Why would I have pieces of paper sitting in a local government when I can have this on the blockchain and everyone's able to see it and I can sell this deed to someone else if I want to sell it? And why don't we do the same thing with my identity? So my passport's on my hand, which is on the blockchain, as opposed to having this strange little book, which is just a bunch of pieces of paper. Having better access for people, especially people that are able to leapfrog the existing legacy systems, is somewhere that is really, really interesting. And that's what gets talked about a lot when it comes to the the, uh, the possibilities of blockchain. It's not something that is massively happening at this point, but it is definitely something to be looking out for. And it's definitely a big part of the reason why the, the blockchain movement's gained so much ground is people that are living in countries where maybe their money is worthless. Maybe the government doesn't want you to get your money out. Bitcoin had a massive run-up. When the when the Greek government said, "Sorry, guys, um, we're doing a bailout. We're going to look at your bank accounts and we're going to take thirty percent off the top." Sorry, we uh we did a terrible job managing and wanted to let everyone retire when they were like fifty-two or something silly like that. Well, if you're living in a government or a, a society like that, you have two options: either you get your money out of that currency or you get yourself out of that country. But either way, you somehow have to get the money out; otherwise, you're going to lose the money. Bitcoin had massive jumps when Greece decided to tank itself, and we've seen uh, we've seen similar things around the world in Venezuela, et cetera. So. A more efficient system typically leads to economic growth and prosperity. So right now we have a system that's pretty inefficient. I can send, let's say you're in China and I've worked with a lot of people in China. Let's say I send you money. Well, you might get the money a week later. I'm going to pay 45 bucks to do a wire transfer. Plus then I'm going to play a percentage on the, the currency exchange rate. So lo and behold, at the end of the time, maybe I sent to money a supplier. I end up paying like 100 bucks on something that definitely shouldn't have been 100 bucks. Well, they had a Litecoin transaction. I want to say it was 100 million, 20 million. It was some ridiculous amount. And they paid like 30 cents in fees yeah, if you're a banker, I would be a little worried. And we have seen bankers be worried. We've seen bankers in the financial system jump into the blockchain space because it is such an interesting space that is disrupting a very old, outdated, and uh, yeah, a bit corrupt system. Power to the people. This is something that I'm pretty excited about. And I think a lot of us should be excited about is we see a world that's a little bit more divided. And is the division, the result of people or the result of politics? And politics has caused a lot of problems in our world. Giving people the power, right now... We're moving towards an era, especially as more and more exponential technologies accelerate. We're moving towards an era where humanity becomes interplanetary and humanity has to become one species, one unifying force. We have so much dividing us these days when it comes to politics, war, religion, etc. All of these separate us from the fact that, for fuck's sake, we're all people. We're all human beings, it! And everyone's life has value. By bringing money and power to the people who actually deserve the money and the power, we're able to get rid of some of those divides between. Oh, you were born here and I was born there. God, we should hate each other then, because that makes a hell of a lot of sense. It might have made sense in a in an older era, but it certainly does not make sense today. When I'm dealing with you, and you're watching this live stream, and you're working with your coworkers who are distributed across the globe, and you're using Slack for communication, and yada yada yada, and you're living where you want to do it, just just stop it. It's silly. Come on, guys. Let's jump into some of the cons of the blockchain movement. So. We've seen a ton of spam when it comes to when it comes to spam and scams, when it comes to ICOs and people raising money for just shit products. I'm, I'm an angel investor. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I work with startups and help them grow and scale. And just the amount of pitches I get in an email form and LinkedIn form of things where you'll see the same thing over and over. You'll see a team that pretty much hasn't done anything. And you'll see technological information about how they're going to build this special network, which is going to change the world and be incredible. And by the way, we're only raising $50 million to do it. Well, if you're raising $50 million, what's your valuation, first of all? The valuation is probably going to be a bit ridiculous. Now we have seen some we have seen some really interesting projects coming out of the crypto space. Probably my favorite right now would be the Brave Browser, which is it's like Google Chrome, but they don't track you, they don't sell your soul. And that's the that's the big difference. And then instead of having all of this advertising information, you're you're paying a little bit of money, you're buying into some tokens so that the creators, people like you, me, NPR, etc., they can get a little bit of the action as opposed to having to sell their soul to advertisers that would be the that would be the best application i've seen right now decentraland also a really interesting one if you want to check that out and learn a little more fringe.fm we've got an incredible interview with Travis Sher, one of the leading crypto investors in the world at dcg digital currency group I recommend checking that out fringe.fm again if you have any questions add those to uh, add those to our chat we'll cover those at the very end we have a live Q&A and we will cover any questions in there that aren't related to price if they're only related to price then it's not something really worth discussing because we're talking about the future and the price is just speculating anyways come on so with that let's jump back into some of the other cons cryptocurrency money in general is only valuable if people believe it's valuable and right now there there's a lot of hype in certain areas so primarily libertarian, people that are speculating in the financial industry who's scared shitless that they're going to lose their business. Those are the three main areas. And then uh, the, the fourth area would be people that are living in countries that legitimately have terrible currencies, um, Venezuela, certain areas in uh, certain areas in Africa and other third world countries, etc., where people want to have a bit more of stability for their currency. Those are the four main value areas right now. But in order for cryptocurrency to become successful, pe- more people have to b- believe that it has some type of value. The reason why the U.S. dollar is so valuable is because people are like, well, crap, the U.S. government's huge. They, they seem to be a superpower. I don't think they're going to collapse, even though they have, what, $20 trillion in debt and $200 trillion in money that's owed over the course of the lifetime. I, I don't think they're going to collapse. So you know what? This U.S. dollar is probably good. I'll give you a coffee for it. Until we get to that point with other types of currencies, we're going to have a problem because that belief in value is the only thing that is value when it comes to money. That's what we've learned from seashells, to shoes, to clothes, to dollar bills, to digital currencies, to Bitcoin. You've got to believe it's valuable and give me something for it. Otherwise, we're not going to get there. And to get there, we have a we still have a ways to go. For that to happen, the, the, the crypto movement may have to be co-opted by governments so that governments are able to say, hey, this is an official US dollar. It's a it's a digital version so that you're able to use it anywhere and you don't have to have any of this stuff and any of these problems and don't worry, we're not gonna track you, wink, wink. But that that may be what has to happen, that's, that's a big con. There's a big stigma right now in terms of cryptocurrency that it's used for drug dealers, et cetera. Now it's interesting, if you actually look at the amount of money, in terms of US dollars versus Bitcoin, Monero, et cetera, that it goes towards illegal activities there's a much higher percentage with cash because cash is completely untraceable for the most part, unless you rob a bank, in which case you might get sprayed with paint or they know the dollar bill numbers, et cetera. But in general, cryptocurrency is much more trackable and it's much less used for nefarious purposes. It's much more used for, I want to speculate on the future and try to make some money, which is what the vast majority of blockchain has been to date is just speculating on the future and trying to make a fortune. Or I I want to get my currency out of this and try to try to in some way um, have a little bit of a, a little bit of an arbitrage or a little bit of a, a safety net in case things go wrong. Early adopters see all the rewards. This has been a big con so far. So I did, a, I did a podcast a while back with Roger Ver. Some of you guys may know him. He is the the leader of Bitcoin Cash, which is the, the second leading Bitcoin um, and the largest Bitcoin fork. Uh, they're more focused on payments versus uh, longer term store of value. But he made an absolute fortune by being one of the early guys to Bitcoin. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, other than the fact that if you're not in early, you're not going to make a lot of money. So is this just going to be something where we switch from having our elites here to having The other elites who are basically just the crypto or the the techno elites we have the cyberpunks who are are worried about the government and want to make some money and they make some money and suddenly they're like wait we have money and power now maybe we should just become the power instead of trying to overthrow the system that could be uh that could be a major problem that i see and i think a lot of people in the movement see and uh yeah we'll see we'll see what happens with that and then the the biggest problem i see with cryptocurrency is uh it has to do with the liquidity and the the changes in price or the volatility so There's kind of two ways this goes. But Bitcoin, there's 21 million Bitcoin, and the price has been going up and up and up, which is great for people that bought in early. But it means there's only 21 million, so it's deflationary. So it's going to become more and more valuable, which means, hell, I'm never selling this. I'm never going to buy something with it because my money is going to become worth more and more and more. You see this with people that spent, what was it, like a $21 million pizza or something? Guy spent a bunch of Bitcoin on pizza and regretted it. And we see this all the time in terms of if the money value is going up, it's not going to work as an economic currency because there's no way for us to trade it. Alternatively, if the value is going down, we try to get rid of it as quickly as we can. So the the volatility is problematic, and then the liquidity is also problematic. So I see a lot of companies now, that if they're blockchain companies, they're giving equity, they're giving tokens. This can either be utility or security tokens, depending on whether or not they're doing it illegally. We don't need to get into that. But either way, they're giving tokens to their employees. This is both good and bad. While well, there is typically a little bit of vesting when it comes to the blockchain space, vesting, let's say we have a startup and I own 50% and you own 25% and our other co-founder owns 25%. If we all own those percentages right off the bat and then I say, hey guys, I'm going to just peace out and keep my 50%. How hard are you going to work for your 25%? The answer is not very hard. And this is something that's already been tested, proven, et cetera, in the startup and investment space. So unless there's vesting, you don't invest in the company, the company's going to fail because something will happen. That's just how it works. Well, the blockchain space hasn't figured this out yet, and investing is really weak. And then there's the, the whole liquidity aspect. So, how many Bitcoin billionaires do you know? What about Ethereum billionaires? There should certainly be a decent number just from the amount that these numbers have gone up, right? If you're willing to hold on to something. The problem with liquidity is people aren't willing to hold on to something. When it comes to investing, the shorter the time horizon that you have, in terms of how quickly you're able to liquidate something, typically the less of returns you're gonna see. So in the stock market, sure the numbers may go up over time, but it's nothing like the private equity or the venture space where you invest in the Facebook, Uber, et cetera, and they go a thousand, ten thousand X. It just doesn't happen because you're not able to hold on to the money. And the organization that's building this is not able to either. They have to think much more on the short term. This is why, if you pull public uh, public company CEOs, it's either sixty or eighty percent said uh, we're we're willing to forego future gains uh, and avoid investing in the future growth to have larger larger numbers now, essentially, because that's how their bonus structures work out. Well, if that's what you have in terms of all startups that are creating blockchain companies, you have a problem because no one's really focused on building a future. They're focused on making money quick. They're focused on going to the moon. They're focused on the next Lambo, which is what we've seen. If you've watched people on Facebook, if you've listened to podcasts, et cetera, you see a lot of shills that are willing to talk about this coin and that coin and make a bunch of money because they're not sure how long this ride is going to last. And those those are some of the big problems I see with the blockchain movement. Overall, I'm really excited with the ability to change the way that we we deal with governance. And uh, I want to jump into some of that now with some predictions. Before we do that though, if you haven't subscribed, make sure you hit the subscribe button now. If you're on Facebook, then you can pop over to YouTube and go to fringe.fm slash YouTube, hit that subscribe button so you never miss a thing. Every Wednesday and Sunday at 1230 p.m. EST, we're going live. We're talking about a different exponential technology. And these are meant as an additive to our our interview series, which is at fringe.fm. You can check those out there where we have world leaders. We have 60 to 70% of uh, the past guests have been on TED or TEDx. We have those caliber of people, but we have them on for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. So as opposed to talking about one specific tiny little topic and making it all nice and polished, we won't just talk about AI, we'll talk about how that relates to genetic engineering and how we're using those genetic engineering results to change healthcare. And how changing healthcare can allow us to live longer, where as we extend into space, we might have to change what it means to be human. And when we change what it means to be human, what does that mean for the rest of humanity? We dive into much deeper topics, both on the ethics and the technological side, and how it all converges, because we are living in a convergent era of exponential technology. But now I was talking about blockchain predictions. So the first prediction, this one's fairly obvious. the the stock market will get replaced by a security token type market. So we will be using tokens as opposed to stocks. Having a piece of paper and trading it on the NASDAQ makes no sense when we can have something that is digital, it's more secure, it's more transparent, and you can have more rules built into that. So that's already something that's happening now with companies like Polymath. I'm an advisor to Coral. They're a company that's working with Polymath to do the first security token launch. You guys can check them out. But uh, that's that's a pretty obvious one. I think cryptocurrencies will probably replace not cryptocurrencies, digital currencies, because these may be governmental digital currencies. But I believe that digital currencies will replace paper money, uh, probably 80% of paper money within the next 10 years. I think it will happen relatively quickly because paper money is very cumbersome. It's not very secure. And, oh, shit, I lost my wallet. All my money's gone. While that happens right now in terms of people losing their wallet keys, and there is some, there is some real problems in terms of the, the custody of different assets, etc. It can, be a, it can be a major problem just having cash. And the ability to have fast, efficient transfers of money, especially when we possibly have robots or AI making those transfers for us, cash is just not going to cut it. I think governments, uh, I think a decent number of governments are going to start to outlaw privacy coins like Monero, Zcash, et cetera, and try to create government-backed currencies. As we said before, cryptocurrencies create a, a large volatility for for governments as a whole. They take away a lot of the power base that governments have. If they don't have money, what exactly do they have? And they have a gun to your head. And they have social support if you're in Europe, Canada, et cetera. In the US, it's it's a fair bit less social support. Maybe we'll give you some stamps. But in general, those are the the three main levers. And we see if money starts to become a lever that gets taken away from government, what happens to government? What does the evolution of government look like? That's a big question. Again, we're going to have a live Q&A at the end of this, so if you have any questions, throw those in the YouTube chat and I will answer those towards the end. And when it comes to blockchain, the reason why I'm excited about it is, it's power to the people. It's something that has the ability to change everything. It has the ability to be the next wave of the internet, so to speak. We've had a great run in terms of what we have with the internet, but we have such strong and entrenched central monopolies that control our information, they control our data, and in general don't care a heck of a lot about us. They use us for advertising. The ability of blockchain to change this paradigm, to make it something where creators are empowered through both monetary and ownership of the platform, monetary incentives and ownership of the platform can be really, really interesting. The fact that this is something where you don't have Uber kicking you off because they don't like your picture as a driver. You have something where you can change if you're on Facebook, you're on, you're on the crypto Facebook, and suddenly they start doing things you don't like. You can take your information and port over to some somewhere else. There's a lot of interesting implications when it comes to when it comes to blockchain. And we didn't even touch about a lot of just the uh just the overall data aspect. So in in an industrial and enterprise type space, the ability for, for instance, tracking food, we can see where this piece of meat came from, we can see when the animal was out. Well, maybe we'll assume it's clean meat so we don't have to get into murder, but we'll assume uh, here's where the food was produced, here's how long it took to get here, here's what went into the the exact ingredients, the label, here's the company that transported it, here's when it arrived at the grocery store, and here's when I ate it. Oh, maybe that's why my tummy's not feeling so good. When we can have transparency in the entire supply chain and in the entire world, it becomes really interesting in terms of what happens next. Is that a black swan event where a lot of things change? Or is this something that becomes a gradual change that gets co-opted by the uh, the existing norms? That's something I don't know. I think that's something a lot of us don't know. It's something that we talk about at Fringe FM. So if you haven't checked out the podcast right now, make sure you hop on over there. You can find us on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. If you go to fringe.fm slash whatever your favorite podcasting app is, iTunes, Android, etc., you'll find us there. You can also see in the show notes we're here. Or if you just go to fringe.fm, you can find us and subscribe to the podcast. I hope this has been interesting. And now let's jump into some live listener questions. It looks like we've got a decent number. Um, Okay, so peer-to-peer payments for cooked or homegrown um, food between users. I think this this is a pretty obvious use case, although I don't necessarily think there's that much of a value, to be honest, in making it a crypto payment, Julian, versus making that just a traditional cash payment, because the only thing you care about is getting paid. I think it would be much more important if you're dealing with things where there has to be some type of trust involved, because if I'm buying food from you, you're probably living relatively close to where I am. Now, alternatively, if you wanted some type of payment system where you could see, oh look, these coffee producers in Guatemala, they're earning X percentage, which is three times more than the general rate for coffee producers. And I believe in that, and I think these guys should earn money and it shouldn't all go to Starbucks or whoever the, the big coffee brand is. That's something that I think the the crypto movement would make a lot more sense for because the transparency there is valuable because you're dealing cross-borders with things and uh with uh, with institutions that don't necessarily want to tell the truth, they don't want you to know what's happening because when you don't know what's happening, then there can be a lot more there can be a lot more value for them. Let's see how do I, how do I think about the, the interconnected use cases of different blockchains? So I think there's obviously going to need some to be some type of interconnectivity between blockchains. There are two types of blockchains: there are private blockchains and there are public blockchains. Private blockchains are also called distributed ledger technology. This is what you'll see with uh, a lot of large enterprises, they essentially want to have their supply chain. Walmart wants their entire system, but they don't want anyone else to have access to their system. But they recognize the value of a blockchain type system where you can have one source of truth, so to speak. So it can be problematic if you have a database and you have different parts of your company using different types of databases, and those are all linking together and not necessarily linking together that well. As someone who's seen the back end of some tech companies, a lot of it is duct taped together. Having a system which is much more uh, robustly built can be very valuable. But then in a even in a private blockchain type scenario, you can give me access, similar to giving access to someone else for a, a document on Google Drive, so that I'm able to access specific parts of this. So if I'm that coffee producer, I'm able to see when my orders are due. If I'm a customer, I'm able to see where my coffee came from. We can have things like that. And then there's also the, the public blockchains. I think ultimately, you're going to have to have some type of system where you have different public blockchains that are able to work together. Because if you have an application that's built on Ethereum, and I have Bitcoin, and I don't necessarily want to move my money over, but I want to be able to still use those type of applications, some type of interoperability. We've seen in terms of um, you have Lightning Network for um, existing currency uh, existing currency transfers you've seen some swaps, et cetera, for crossing over different currencies. I think ultimately, we'll see something where you have some type of APIization, And while that may not be a technical term, just thinking about different products, different networks as APIs, where developers can plug into these, access them, and bounce between different ones, depending on what the nature is. That's kind of the, the nature of blockchain is the ability to move or change based off of the situation. You don't want someone else to have control. So I think we could definitely see something like that. And I think there's a lot of people that are working on that. Let's see. Is there any other questions? I think there was one other one. Which developments do you see? Commercial real estate, commercial real estate, and real estate in general. I think are going to be pretty interesting when it comes to when it comes to cryptocurrency and blockchain specifically. Just because right now there's a lot of inefficiency. And here's here's the most obvious use case. Let's say I own a home and I want to sell my home, but I don't want to sell my home. I want to live in my home still. Well, can I sell a percentage of my home? Well, if my home was a to- a fungible token, so let's say there's a hundred a hundred um a hundred pieces of a home, I could sell a piece of my home. So rather than selling it, I could still own some of the home. I could still live in the home and other people could take a part in the appreciation. So let's say my home prices doubles in the next 10 years and someone owns 50% of that. Well, shit, their money just doubled in 10 years without having to actually do anything. They just owned a piece of the a piece of the pie. I don't see why that wouldn't happen with commercial real estate. It's pretty obvious in terms of allowing multiple parties to participate. And if you're living somewhere, you might want to own the apartment, but you might want to also own a, a piece of the upside of the building if you're doing a good job of making the building nicer, cleaner, maybe you're setting up a garden, et cetera. So owning a little piece of that building and then the value of the building goes up as more tenants come in and the rent goes up, well, at least then when your rent goes up, you're not completely getting screwed, right? Remember, hit that subscribe button, fringe.fm slash YouTube if you haven't subscribed. Are there any other really interesting implications of blockchain? There's some really good blockchain podcasts if you guys haven't checked them out. If you go to fringe.fm and look in the resources, we've got four different blockchain podcasts listed that I think you guys would really enjoy. So I would check that out, fringe.fm. And are there any other questions? I'm not seeing any other questions. That's everything I got on our side. There's nobody else that's popping anything in. So I want to thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time hopping on Fringe FM Tech Talks, I'm your host, Matt Ward. I want to thank you. And I am signing off. Until next time, go kick some ass, change the world. And uh, yeah, let's see if we can build a bigger, better world together. There's a lot of interesting stuff headed our way. And if uh, if you know what's happening and you're willing to take a little bit of action, you can really you can really make big shit happen. Until next time, cheers. If you want more of Fringe FM, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to Fringe.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interviews with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. And you can follow me on Twitter at It's Matt Ward. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review in iTunes to help more people discover Fringe FM.